I just came back from the salon. And for the record, I went with a sassy little bob and quiet luxury shade of blonde. Yes, that's literally what we're calling it, quiet luxury. Aside from trips to the salon, I don't actually blow out my hair. My hair is naturally wavy, and that's why I love Way. Way's new anti-frizz cream is a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I know that I have a limited amount of time <laughs> with wet, wavy hair in which to get myself in order. And that is why I love the anti-frizz cream. It has notes of bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And it smells un. Believable, Truly, as someone who is a little bit sensitive to scents, I put this in my hair and I feel great. It also genuinely pairs well with my perfume, which I appreciate. I don't blow out my hair because after years of color processing and attempting to make it straight, I know it looks better and stays healthier when I avoid blow drying, which is why I love the anti-frizz cream. I've used products, especially with wavy hair, where it feels heavy and looks kind of wet. And that's why I love Waze Anti-Frizz Cream because it enhances the natural waves in my hair. I still look like me, just a little elevated. And P.S. I am way obsessed with Waze's other bestsellers. Their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, my personal favorite. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E- O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code Andy for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com with promo code Andy. I don't need another diamond because baby, I'm flawless. I'm not getting thinner, but the lining of my uterus is. you guys it's andy's girls that was an adventure i wasn't sure where my guest was going and i was here for the ride um you guys it's andy's girls episode 160 my goodness time flies when you're having fun and i am so excited to have a new guest co-host on the people's people's couch none other than kate casey the host of reality life with kate casey who has essentially her own pod conglomerate a woman who dips in and out of the bravo canon in addition to covering a variety of other shows some of which we'll get to kate i'm so excited to have you on ag i am thrilled honored and super psyched Oh my God. Well, listen, we'll just um, say good things about each other for like the next 65 minutes and call it a day. So Kate, I was on your show several months ago. I want to say talking about all things married to medicine. A couple months ago? Yeah. Yesterday? Yep. Okay. Um, Which is P.S. continues to be one of my favorite shows. I've been dipping in and out of non-housewife shows throughout the week and I'm re-watching Married to Medicine OG season five one of the best seasons I think of any Bravo show so guys if you're not watching Married to Med you do need to start with season one but if you're looking to re-watch something I highly recommend Married to Medicine but anyway I had such a great time talking with you 
So my hope was connecting with you when I was going to be going on a trip to L.A. next month. But spoiler alert, (laughs) that's not happening anytime soon. So I'm excited to talk to you, you know, from New York City to um, Cali. How are you guys doing over there? Um, we're fine because it's, you know, it's not a bad place to live, which is great. Uh, but I've got five kids under 10 at home and I have to homeschool them. And it has been a real, a real test of patience. The hardest part is that your spouse is privy to the way you parent and becomes judgy (gasps) about it. Oh my God. So he thinks I'm way too hard on my kids and I think I am fine because I'm from the East coast and that's just the way we roll. Um, but I just felt like, you know, if you want me to homeschool my kids, I'll homeschool the shit out of these kids. So (laughs) I'm like, you know, I I think a lot of people are going to be so behind because they're overwhelmed or they're like, listen, I don't want to be a teacher. I'm not up to it, but I'm sort of like, Oh, I'm going to get ahead of the pack now. I'm that competitive. I'm like, fine. There'll be like two grades ahead by the end of this shit show. You want to screw Holy shit. We'll do it. We'll do it. So it is kind of good because you kind of do a lot of course correction. You uh-huh. fix things. Uh-huh. Um, but my oldest one is a real bitch. So that's <laughs> pretty hard. So I'm dealing with a lot of emotions, a lot of hormones, a lot of mm. judgment. Um, but I haven't murdered anybody. And that's the upside. Yeah. I feel like, you know, not committing murder is always productive and helpful (laughs) if that is the goal setting we're doing I would think most of us perhaps not all have achieved that which is excellent I mean I don't have kids I have a fish named Archie Bador who I um, forget to feed every day I cannot (laughs) imagine what it must be like to take on you know being responsible for your kids like academic journeys plus everything else that you're doing day to day plus you know for folks who are also handling another job on top of that plus you're stuck with your partner or spouse or you're Mm -hmm. dealing without without having one I mean you know I'm single and without um Sarah Jr. and I feel stressed out so I can't imagine what it must be like to grapple with all of this and also not necessarily like literally be able to find proper self-care, you know? Oh, that's not happening. No, self-care doesn't happen. But I think the hardest part is managing the mental health of the kids. Mm. The upside is they're young. So it's a lot easier than I think if I had like teenagers, like Mm -hmm. my sister in New Jersey has got teenagers. And I think that would be hard because they're so accustomed to being so social. Yeah. And, And that would be hard to kind of walk them through that. So I just keep them busy. I delegate um, and they all kind of have to play together. And, you know, I'm just trying to make it work. But I do have a tremendous amount of empathy for people that are alone because at least I my day flies by because it's so busy. So I'm struggling to wrap my brain around how I can help people that are, you know, in a city by themselves and they don't get to interact with people and I'm just hopeful that I'm giving them a little bit of entertainment because I can't even imagine that well speaking of entertainment so how do you juggle the kids the hub, the everything with keeping on top of all of these shows I mean your podcast which is tremendously popular covers shows on Bravo off Broadway Bravo how do you find the time 
and the energy to and is you're constantly doing interviews with folks who are on these shows themselves celebrities bravo celebrities how do you find the time and capacity to juggle all of that well the good thing is when you have kids you learn to really multitask really well yeah. and i'm not somebody who needs a lot of sleep i probably get about five hours sleep a night Mm. So I do the bulk of my watching at night once they've gone to bed, but I do find pockets of time during the day where I can watch things. I mean, gr- grateful that it, we're in the age now where a lot of things are streaming now. So oh, my God. Things. Thank God. I mean, I'm the kind of person that I'm working with my kids, but then if they're they have to do a reading comprehension. And so they're, they're while they're reading, I'm going to be looking at something on my phone. So I'm trying to multitask all the time. I also don't. Um, I, this is like the, the weirdest thing about me. I've never had coffee in my entire life. I hate <gasps> really. Um, it's just weird. So I need to work out to stay awake. Mm. So I work out every day. And so while I work out, I watch a show. So I'll do like a Peloton, but then I'll watch a TV show instead of watch. Like I follow the instructor, but I'm not yeah. listening to the music. So I'm watching a show. So at the end of the day, I've like crossed out a lot of stuff. And if you like take out commercials and mm-hmm. you can really dial it down. But also I have kind of a mission each week where I know what shows I need to be watching. So I can squeeze in the peripheral shows like on a weekend. What's your favorite show to watch where it's not it may, you may cover it on your show or not, but it just is like that breath of fresh air where, you know, regardless of whether or not it's having a good season, you turn it on and you feel like, oh, my God, I'm at home. Um, I, the probably the only one that's like a consistent show mm-hmm. that I, is probably like Real Housewives of New York. Just yes. because there's something about it that just reminds me of home. Like, mm-hmm. those women are most like myself. I live in mm-hmm. Orange County, and they do not represent me or people I know. And it's like living in a totally different world um, from what I see on TV, even though mm-hmm. I know some of them. Um, mm-hmm. But New York just feels like home to me, and I like how comedic it is. And my producing partner created the show, so I feel like that Oh, one, my God. That one is, like, the, the one I really like the most. Um, and then I think that it kind of changes. Uh, my tastes are so different that uh, you know like I've just been recently so obsessed with the last dance on ESPN because I'm actually really into sports so oh I haven't seen it I heard it's amazing oh it's like the best I think you'll really love it because you don't even have to love sports it's the personalities and not just the players but the team owners and the managers and the people that covered them I ended up interviewing Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and Magic no Johnson's biography. no oh, oh it was okay, like got it it was like the best interview I ever did. And I ended up oh crying. I cried oh at the God. end because I'm a weirdo. Um, but I just thought, you know, sports storytelling is so compelling. And it was like the best team that ever played in basketball. And you have this unbelievable player who's arguably the best person that ever played the sport in the world. Mm-hmm. And he has such a strange personality. And, and then you mix it with all these other players. For example, Michael Jordan, um, as the biographer explained to me, they had the team psychologist go watch him once he, he left basketball to play major, tried to, tried to play major league baseball for a while. And then he came back. So the team psychologist is watching him, trying to figure him out. And he said it was very unusual because Michael Jordan seemed like he was like bipolar, but in like that manic state but mm. never seemed to crash down from it, which was unusual. But also, he 
he seemed to fantasize about imaginary fights in order to keep himself at that elevated state. Oh my God, how unhealthy. So he's going into even a practice. And he's like thinking of things that making up things in his head that they may have said against him just to get him to that elevated state. And I like, it's like the minutia like that, that I find really fascinating. What makes a person tick. And so you, you mix that with the other people you play with. For example, Michael Jordan's father was murdered. And yes. there's another team teammate of his. His father was murdered too. Steve Kerr, right? Or Steve, Kurt? Steve yeah, yeah, yeah. Kerr. But somehow those two never spoke about that, which is so mm. unusual because women, that's something we would seek out in one another. Like, let's talk about that. And those two players had the most bizarre relationship and you would think that they would have sat down at some point and connected with that. So there's just so many layers to it. So the answer to your question is, New York always makes me feel like at home and happy. And I know the dynamics of the women and I, it, it's comedy to me, but I'm constantly surprised by the new shows that pop up that really mm -hmm. interest me. And that's what I love so much about what I do is that I'm always on the pursuit of the next thing to watch. And it could be a docu-series. It could be a documentary. And sometimes it is a reality show. It just sort of depends on the week. That's so interesting. You know what? I'm one of those people. I do not watch any sports. I never know when the Super Bowl is. I never know who's playing. I only watch, you know, J-Lo um, do her thing. But I like movies about sports. I've seen every given yeah. Sunday a ridiculous amount of times. I watch um, Reels. Then, then I would love this. Like right. Because I read about the Steve yeah. Kerr thing and I was like, oh, this is on my list of things to do. And I like oh, um, real Sarah. sports on HBO. <gasps> Brian Gumble is so talented. That is I'm going to so die. Good. Yeah. So I need to watch no. this post haste. This, this is going to be the best weekend of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there have been I'm trying to think of other sports sort of docu-style series that I've seen. I, I'm sure I'll think of them as soon <gasps> oh, as we're done. I have another done. one for you. I have another oh, tell one me. For you. Tell me. So it's called, the ESPN has this 30 for 30 series. Right. But they did a whole documentary and I in interviewed the guy. I saw, I watched it on a plane and interviewed him by Wednesday. I was so compelled by his story. His name's Chris Heron, H-E-R-R-E-N. So he's around, like he's a little bit older. He's older than us. But so he was this unbelievable player in high school. And he gets a scholarship to BC. And like the second day of school, he walks into his dorm room and his roommate's doing lines of coke. <gasps> and, and then it all went uh, downhill. He became oh, so no! addicted to drugs, but he played at this unbelievable level. So then he gets kicked off the team. Fresno State picks him up. He plays really well there. And then he goes into the NBA. He plays for the Jazz. He has a great rookie year because he stays sober. People kind of knew that he was a junkie, and they would go to games and go, junkie, junkie. Oh, but God. The year, the year that he played, the first year's rookie year, all of these incredible players, which you don't think of like basketball players, they rallied around him, and they were like, we're not going out at night. We're going to all go to dinner after every game and practice to make sure that he stays sober. So the whole year he was sober, and he played really well. And he had a young, or young, you know, young wife and child at that point. But then he started getting addicted to Oxy. Oh, and so the whole story is about, it's this story about how he, his addictions, but then how he got, got help. Mm -hmm. And the most amazing story about this person intervening and other players too. And oh, he's been sober for like 20 years now. Oh and my God. God bless him. Wellness centers. He's still married. They have mm. three kids. And it's just like, 
it plays out like a movie when you watch the documentary. You're like, I cannot believe this story. It's insane. So I, I love the, the sports documentaries because there are so many people that think, I, can't, I never played sports. I don't care about it. But it's the human stories mm-hmm. that, God, they're so compelling. And, 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 you, and we're talking about people that are so passionate and, and, and dedicated to something. I just, I love it. I played well, sports, so that's why I'm psycho. Oh, well, I you know, college sports. Oh, um, I mean, thinking a little bit about sports and housewives, I'm so curious about this specifically because you've called out Michael Jordan and Real Housewives of New York. And I think there's actually a connection there. Michael Jordan is known as one of the greatest athletes of all time and has also been known, um, you know, when he's not killing it and and winning championships as kind of a miserable person like that has Mm -hmm. been essentially a running joke and running thread and narrative throughout his career and also in his time since that he is just kind of like a miserable guy and yet he is also acknowledged and celebrated because aside from his personality and, and whatever else, he is a tremendous athlete and deserves that recognition. Then I think about the Real Housewives of New York, which is has been one of my personal favorite, you know, Bravo shows since sort of essentially since its beginning. And you look at these women and I wonder You know, in order to this is different than Michael, but for these women on this specific kind of show, the more miserable you are to a certain extent, I think they've kind of, you know, jumped the shark certainly this season. The more miserable you are, almost the more celebrated you become. So with Michael, people put aside him being an asshole because they say it's sort of unrelated. With Dorinda, until maybe this season, for a lot of people, her explosions and anger and fury and disrespect of other people catapulted her into being like a signature real housewife. And I think it's only now we've reached this point where people, many people are saying to themselves, did we create this? Did we mm-hmm. enable this? Mm-hmm. Are we now understanding a person who has always been this way? Because she was sort of a housewife's champion for many years. So with Michael Jordan, we're putting aside the bad stuff and focusing on the good. With Dorinda, the bad used to be good, and now it's just bad. I think that one parallel is similar to like a Bethany too. Mm-hmm. Like for Michael Jordan, when there there are many moments throughout the series where the players are saying, yeah, he was relentless. He was difficult. He mm-hmm. pushed me beyond beyond measure. But then again, we did win a championship. And right. I think the same way about Housewives where they're like, yeah, she tormented me. <laughs> I, w- I came home from filming and I cried. And I, I, I can't believe how people came after me on social media, but we're the number one show. So I do think it's like it, uh, they sort it's like making um, making a deal with the devil, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, I want to be a TV. I think a lot of them, quite honestly, are like, well, maybe they never had a job or they wanted to get out of a bad marriage or there was something in their life up to this point that they felt like was missing. So they're like, I'm 45 years old. And what? how easy is it to be a 45-year-old TV personality? Not easy. So I'm going to have to totally uh, go into debt 
by creating this uh, this imaginary um, closet that I don't really have, mm-hmm. this imaginary strong marriage that I don't necessarily have, and I will sacrifice all of it to be on this TV show and take the ride. When it all kind of comes falling apart is when th- those seasons are not successful, and that's when you see it all kind of fall apart. So I think there are cracks in this season because people were like, well, Bethany's gone. What does that mean It's going to happen in the show? And so the cracks started to appear. Like, is she a mon? Is is Dorinda a monster? Like, why mm-hmm. did we see this before? Because we're looking at the show in a different way. It, it, you know, like Bethany always made it like a top show, and so there was a question of like, can it still be a top show if she's gone? I think that you could feel that and see that in the filming where you're looking at them like they're stressed out about it, even though they don't want to acknowledge it. Now they've said things like, we didn't need her anyway, and we're so great. But I, s- when I watch that show, I'm looking at women who are like is this still going to be my livelihood? Am I still going to be a TV star? What happens if this, if this show doesn't work? I feel like that's reverberating throughout the housewives vernacular is like for these, for the talent, there is this question of, is this as powerful as it was maybe 14 years ago? And, and in some ways I think perhaps no. And I think that the real housewives of Salt Lake city will be the real test of that. Mm. Like the way people accept that, like, am I really interested in the form, this formula anymore? Because as I always say, like in the beginning of the show, it was great because it was a window into a world we didn't know about. And the layers of classism and the layers of um, all the layers, like you're in season one of Orange County, you're watching Vicky as the boss in her home Mm -hmm. office. And she there's a power power imbalance between Vicky and the girl who works behind her that she yeah, Lori that she trained. Mm -hmm. And then Lori marries George Peterson. And then she's higher in the class level. And the dynamics of their friendship totally flipping and how it carried out season after season to the point where Vicky can't even be around her anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I think people loved about it was a peek into someone else's world in another part of the country who may have a interesting lifestyle in, in some way. But it's somehow morphed into women seeking the opportunity to be TV stars midlife who are willing to throw their marriage under the bus who are willing to um, go into enormous debt to maintain what they think got them a spot on the show to begin with. Mm-hmm. And the last part about it, which which worries me and that a lot of people won't talk about, is that I think that when the women sign up, for, let's say you sign up for the show and you're 38 years old. Perfect. And, and then you're 12 years later, you're still on the show. I think those women feel enormous pressure to look the same as they did when they signed up for the show. Now they make tweaks and stuff, but it's they they believe they can't age on television. So like an actress, most actresses have worked their whole life, right? Or, you know, professional life. And so they're making minor tweaks as they go because they know it's part of their bread and butter. And they're very aware that as the older they get, those roles will diminish. Mm-hmm. But for a housewife, it's a condensed version and it's a lot of pressure on them because they are imagine Emily Blunt, Blake Lively, I don't know, this, the circle of actresses, mm-hmm. that they were in the same movie together with that, each other for over 12 years. It's kind of like that. So they all feel this pressure to maintain the age, look the age that they started the show, and then make their lifestyle look bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that that's jarring for women to see because it's so unnatural because it's, it's this condensed period of time. Nobody can all of a sudden overnight have a Ferrari when you were driving 
you know, a Jeep last year. Like none of that makes sense. And we know that. And then it, they become more of a joke to us. And it's less about the anthropological way we look at shows. Like, okay, do I know somebody like that? And why do we think she came to that decision? And where do we see her marriage in two years if the power dynamic shifting? Because maybe she start opening a store or maybe she wrote a book. It's more about them becoming like um, caricatures, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I think you're raising so many interesting points. I mean, when you think about a woman trying to present or a housewife trying to present herself as someone who's very rich when you know that's being propped up on, you know, with God knows whatever kind of deceit or fraud or whatever underneath, it may not work out in the best interest of that housewife when it's revealed. But oftentimes that's a success for the viewership. I mean, if we look at when the bubble burst on Orange County, I think the show itself changed as a result of that because it used to be all of these women like what's behind the pearly gates you know, that it looks like you have this beautiful life, but what's lurking underneath. And then a transition to what happens when you're presenting yourself, Mm -hmm. when that actual illusion is built on a foundation that's not real. So you're Mm -hmm. on a show presenting yourself as somebody wealthy. What happens when the cameras catch that moment where they realize that you're a fraud and how do you handle it? I mean, talking about all things Cali, you know, it started um, with, um, Uh, Lynn Curtin cuffs. It started with Lynn and Frank, their kid getting served with papers, eviction notices on camera. And you see it. It's it's kind of the thorough the the, sorry, the what am I trying to say? The line that goes thread line, the thread, the thread. It's it's like the thread of the narrative of what is still existing on many of these franchises, some of them specifically geared toward that. You see that with everything happening with Dorit and PK. It's how many stories came out in the tabloids about PK's financial misdealings until they were essentially forced to acknowledge it, however lightly this season. I mean, you look at the layers of how are women trying to disguise themselves and the changes in their lives. Sometimes that's with surgical intervention, but that's also with financial as well. Ultimately, you don't want anyone to know what's happening underneath. That sometimes is related to friendships, relationships, and sometimes that's related to your, you know, checking savings. It's all kind of the same at the end of the day. The the larger change or the larger um, contradiction is because it's playing out on reality TV. I mean, we all kind of lie. We all kind of lie to each other and ourselves, whether it's about how much money we have for many people, um, how we look how we interact on a professional level the housewives just gives us the ability to both critique and emphasize with these women that we watch every week agreed it's a weird world and I feel like I have a lot of offline conversations with housewives Mm. and the the common thread is that they're they know that there's there's a finite amount of time you know, they know that's that so ta- much pressure. Oh, my they God. know that time is running out and they're always mindful of like, how do I make the most of this? How do I start a business? And th- the truth is, many of them are not business people. Exactly. Exactly. So th- th- that's the problem. So I think for some of them, they should just say uh, my, my advice to them is you're not a business person and you never will be. So why don't you rethink the way that you're look like, what's your end goal? And quite frankly, a lot of them don't even have goals. 
Like I've asked them like, okay, what do you want to get out of this? And they're like, I just want to have fun. I'm like, okay, but it's not going to be fun. <laughs> you know, like when Bronwyn, I, Bronwyn and I know each other, I knew, knew her before the show. And mm-hmm. it was like the week before she started filming first season or that she was on. And I said, like, what do you want to get out? She said, I just think it's going to be so much fun. I said, it is not going to be fun. Mm-hmm. And they are not your friends. These are your coworkers. Mm-hmm. And she like after the first season, she was like, oh, my God, you're so right. Like, you're so right. I'm like, I know. I've been interviewing all of these women forever. I mean, they're not your friends because your friendships, you don't feel like you have to be guarded all the time. It's mm-hmm. unusual. This situation that they're in within within the confines of the filming, and it's, not, it's unusual. It's unusual to be around women where you're like, I don't know. I can't confess anything personal about myself because what if that comes back to haunt me two seasons from now? Is this going to be brought up at reunion and this is going to be played with archival footage of things? I s- we, women friends don't do that. You and I have lots of women friends. We like I go into a conversation and I don't feel like I have to be like that. Mm-hmm. So some of them go into it thinking this is going to be a total lark. They don't know how much time it takes. They're sort of ding-dongs about that. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to be filmed a lot. And it's going to be over a short period of time. And then after that, you still have to do pickup interviews. You right. have to do calls with production. This is going to take a lot of time away from your family. You're going to have to be mindful all the time of um, how much the hair and makeup portion is. In mm-hmm. the early days, they would just show up. And now it's like they have to have a makeup artist that comes before they go to film. I mean, these are things that normal people would never even think about. If you and I are in New York City, we just show up to the same bar and have a drink i don't need to yeah have a makeup team like flat iron my hair put my makeup on and like find me shoes that match my dress it's ab- absolutely an absurd thing and i think it's the unfortunate thing is it's changed in my opinion from the original mission which was to tell the story of a group of women in a small community who are complex women and have complex relationships And how do your conversations with these housewives go? I mean, you've interviewed so many Bravo lebs on your show. You live in Orange County. Surely you've had interactions with them. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, Tamara left the show begrudgingly. You know, yeah. like she quit slash admits that she was fired, which P.S. good for her for saying that. She's an example of someone who sacrificed her kids' relationships with her, mm-hmm. their now, you know, their father, her friendships with women on and off camera, where she was keenly aware of what it took to continue to have a path exist on this show and was seemingly willing to do whatever it takes. What do you think happens to a personality like that when the show is no longer around and she sort of has to deal with all of those decisions? I think that when they go off the show, it's a real blow to their ego. And they're never, almost never, uh, in a situation where they've walked away on their own terms. Yeah. I think there's maybe one or two. Most of the yeah. time, it's like you're let go. And what they, they just don't they just don't bring you back. It's not like very unusual for them to sit down and say you've done tremendous work for us we're really grateful and it, it, this is not a, a typical business situation i think it's a real blow to their egos and i think that it's a real 
the hardest part about it is the constant stimulation. I think that a lot of them grow so accustomed to getting constant stimulation in the terms of like social media and people stopping them. And it's like turning the water faucet off and they're, they have a real identity crisis. And that's why I always say to people when they start the show, you have to always remember who you are and what your set of value system, like what's your value system. And if you stick to that, uh, uh, when the filming ends, you, you're not going to change that much. I mean, you're going to change a little bit because it's an incredible life experience and it, hopefully it makes you evolve and become more empathetic and interesting. But for a lot of them, I think it's really being spit out of a tornado. And like I said, the water faucet turns off and they're like, well, what, ab what about me now? I mean, ultimately, they all have to have a sort of similar personality to be cast. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm friends with um, <laughs> Evolution Media and they made a joke to me once like, yeah, like you would never be on the show. Like, I, no, and nor would mm. you, Sarah, because we're too. Yeah, like, I couldn't do it. I don't. Too, I can't do it. But we're too introspective, you know, like. I don't know that really does well on a reality show. I think there are people that are just like balls to the wall, huge personalities. They believe that what they say is the be all end all. And most of us are like, you know, if somebody came up to me and said, you know, it really upset me that you said that or you did that. I'm going to probably go, okay, well, I didn't think about that. And I'm really sorry about it. And God, I, I should do better. Most of the people on shows like this don't have that capacity. So, it's just a very odd thing. So, yes, to answer your question, I think that when that ends, it's very difficult for them. And I, I most certainly financially. Oh, my God. The longer that they're on the show, the more money they make. So if you have somebody like, you know, an OG and then they're off, that's an enormous revenue stream that stops. And so, you know, I always got it. I don't know Vicki Gumbelson from A Hole in the Wall. I've only seen her on television. But I always was amused by the way that she, part of her persona was like, I'm this businesswoman, right? Like this insurance business. Here's my office. And I got to go, guys, because I'm a working woman. I'm a business person. But then it felt like she went off the show and there was like a holy shit moment. Like mm -hmm. I'm making so much income from this. I, I would suspect without having been privy to her finances that the money that she made from the show probably far outweighed the money that she made from the insurance business so hmm. i would assume uh that once that water faucet turned off that there's like a i have to pivot most like everybody in the world people who are in the you know suffering from covid situations like you have to pivot everyone has mm -hmm. to pivot i don't know if it's easy for them to pivot and with Vicky, I mean, she was someone who had like daggers out, guns blazing when she was fired and said, this is a terrible show. It's terrible for women, blah, blah, blah. And then a but week it, went by and then a week but, went by and she realized, you know, my God, the marketing I got for free for Kodo Insurance, the everything else. And also I want to be famous. I think that that's the other thing that troubles me a lot in the course of the four years is that, that I've been doing this show is that I'm a professional person. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to do global communications, uh, media crisis for global law firms. And so I'm a professional person, consider myself a professional person, and I'm often interviewing people that have no professional background. So for me, I'm horrified when someone leaves a show and they badmouth the show that mm -hmm. they're on because mm -hmm. I think... What tremendous opportunities that you ca that came out of it, and what are you saying to your next employer, whomever that they, that may be? If you were to hire me, 
and you are to let me go, or if I'm to walk away, I will say nothing but horrible things about you. So it's like these fundamental life ex lessons that some of them don't have. And I, and I, I have to be remind myself of it often because I get frustrated by unprofessionalism, but I'm like, they don't, they can't relate to us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, speaking of unprofessionalism, Dorinda tweeted this morning in response to some bullshit that Ramona said, or maybe just in response to watching the show and had some uh, thoughts, shall we say, on Ramona and in relation to Ramona saying that Dorinda needed anger management. She said, you know, you're terrible to your fans, friends and wait staff. Watch BravoCon. Hashtag Leah. Hashtag wait staff. Hashtag fans. The list is too long to tweet, get help. And there is this strange universe in which some of these women are monsters on TV. And that yeah. is something. And then some of them are also awful off TV. And while, you know, Dorinda's doing her very best to divert attention away from her horrible behavior, there is something to be said for the fact that like, yeah, if you're going to talk about being professional, like maybe don't be a dick to the people that watch the show or maybe do it because it's reinforcing your character. And this is like one of those strange situations in which if a housewife was rude to me and they're rude on the show, I might think, oh my God, wow, aren't you consistent? You know, instead of, aren't well, you terrible? I mean, that's that kind of example. It's like, okay, there's a way for you to have a comeback, but to say it with more tact. Yeah. I'm thinking always of five, five, fives. How does this affect me? Five minutes, five days, five weeks, five years from now, right? Like a normal person. And so I'm always flabbergasted by the way that people on these shows kind of come at each other on social media because I'm like, well, this is going to not only come back at the reunion, it's going to come back when you start filming a new show, like a new season. And that is a footprint. Like that's a, you know, we are going to be able to look back to that. And, and like, is that what you, you want people to think about you? That you're a 55 year old who will be screaming at people. And I think the problem is that there is a segment of people who watch the show who are like egg her on and her, I mean, any of them and not just one specific, but it's like, yes, queen, like, go, go, go. And I, I'm like, at some point, are there repercussions for, like, going after the person that's your coworker? Like, it just seems crazy. But that's where I don't know that looking at it through the lens of, a normal the 555 five, right. works because yeah. if you go off that yeah right yeah. exactly because if you go off that you don't really have a franchise anymore we want Dorinda to Losing act like a menace on social media to a certain point because that plays into and energizes us in between these episodes as we air so even though I disagree with what Dorinda was saying it's a additional content, which Lord knows the network is encouraging to a certain point, unless they start talking about things relating to production or, you right, know, spoiling right, right, right. stuff later on in the season. And B, it plays into the, the fact that there are really emotions at stake. I don't think with some of the housewives, when they say things on, say things on social, I think, okay, there, there's like a wink and a nod here. But with stuff like Dorinda, I actually think she's that angry. And my largest example of yeah. that is looking at her behavior on the show where it's all reactionary. She's not listening. 
She's maybe the least mm-hmm. empathetic person that's on New York right now. And Ramona is one of her cast members. And it's being exhibited in how she's behaving on Instagram and more. It's. God, it's just such a wacky world. I don't know. I just sometimes I think some of them lose sight of normalcy and they're leaning into the character that they believe that they are on the show and mm-hmm. the and, and the character that a certain segment of people have propped them up to be mm-hmm. and it and it, it it's it diverts from their true personality so at some point i think dorinda was a fairly normal person and i think that over time there are people that are just riling her up mm-hmm. and at some point she's going to have to go back and look at the the reactions that she's had and make sense of it it's like i don't know I, there, I i've asked that's the hard part for me is like i'm always asking myself like do they still seem like people that are living living a life that's captured on tv or are they playing a character on tv and i think that when a show's on for many many years that line gets blurred and, and that's the unfortunate part about it. Like, I don't think Stephanie Holman in, at Re- on Real Housewives of Dallas is any different than she was the first day they started filming. Mm-hmm. Sure, she has more life experiences and et cetera. And the show, she's more famous than she was. But at the core of herself, she's still mm-hmm. somebody whose life is playing out on TV. And she's not a television character. And with Dor- I agree with you on Stephanie. And with Dorinda... What do you think is happening here and what do you think will happen? Like, what are your experiences watching her lash out to an extent that, I mean, she's a pro at it, but she's gotten to a point where it's almost unwatchable. Has that been your experience or how do you feel? I feel like that, like the last episode where she went after Tinsley, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I get it that she's angry and they're probably underlying issues. It does probably annoy her that, Tinsley has lived a very privileged life and seemingly has a boyfriend that just buys her things. Mm -hmm. And I can see how that would trigger somebody who perhaps at one point was married to somebody who was enormously helpful and gifted her and all of that. Exactly. Yes. Bought her a house. Yeah. But I think there was a point in that episode where it went beyond that, where I started to question, is she being this ruthless because she thinks I'm going to become like the new star of the show that Bethany left And this is going to make for great memes. I don't think that's happening. I think that can happen. I think that, you know, Nini is trying to make that happen right now. But with Dorinda, I really think she is like um, spiraling in front of our eyes. I think she is in an enormous amount of pain and maybe has been in an enormous amount of pain since the day her husband died And as she said that Hannah said, she very quickly met John and started a relationship with him and never and tried never to look back. She put everything in a box and shut it and tried to move on in maybe the opposite direction with the opposite kind of partner than um, who her husband was. And since there was a literal flooding in the house that her husband purchased for her, she lost items from their marriage and had to mourn that loss in a way that she maybe never did for his actual death because she was in such enormous denial. And I feel like her anger at Tinsley is such 
unbelievably misplaced rage, but I also suspect that maybe she has always been this way. There's a way in which she's responding to Ramona, like even before they had like their sob sash in the hallway, where I'm thinking like, no, this is Dorinda. Dorinda cannot hear people. I think you're spot on with the idea of, she's connected a lot of that and a lot of the lashing out with her celebrity. And that's kind of how she's been able to make a splash. But I think that there's something larger at play here. I think she really is in a tremendous amount of pain, but she also is a fuck up who thinks that friendship is being, is like genuinely joining the mafia where you can't say anything bad about the Don. Otherwise, I mean, like, but Fredo. There, but there are elements of her personality where, or uh, there have been elements that I've seen on the show, which I question, is she becoming emboldened by the fans? Like, Oh, if, definitely. Like, a hundred. Yes. Clip, yes. Is, is that premeditated? Like, I'm going to go into it, and I'm going to do this, and then it's going to take off, and then I can do a song about Giovanni, and I can do, not, you know, I'm just saying they all, I, I, I think there is a blurred line now where some of them are like, this is my plan and then I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this happen. And I hate that. I think she makes light of being a horrible. Um, I think she makes light of sometimes being abusive to people and exhibiting toxic behavior because she can merchandise it or at least try to. I don't yeah. think she's thinking in her head, how can I lash out? I think she is someone who is very, very bad at communicating, empathizing and being vulnerable with people at a certain point. And she spirals and she says terrible things. And then someone makes it into a meme. And six months from now, when it airs on TV, she's celebrating the fact that she's now a meme but I don't think it I it could incentivize her but I don't think she's scripting it like I don't think she thinks I'm gonna come down and be a dick to this person because I know it's gonna be a great moment on the show and I think about that time with like the scene with Candace Bushnell in the Hamptons or wherever it was where Dorinda said out loud I'm not going to drink alcohol I only want to have a diet coke because when I come in to eviscerate Sonia, I want it to be so good that I'm stone cold sober. And I don't yeah. think she's doing that because the show. I think she's doing that because she can be like horrible and has a terrible <laughs> temper and like yeah. wants to make sure that when she's shooting someone that <laughs> she's like going in for the kill. Except it's like all bullet. Like it's it's just she goes too far, but I think she's someone that probably always has. I went to boarding school, and one time Sadie Bilter came into um, my room, <laughs> and she changed her shoes. She okay. said, I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I need good tread on my shoes. She took her earrings out, and she put quarters in her hands because she said when you punch somebody, <gasps> you quarters in your hands, it's more lethal. And that's what I think about when you just described that scene. <laughs> No. That's Dorinda. She's like, I got to change my shoes with tread, take yeah. my knees out and get quarters in my in my hands. Every day of Dorinda's life, she's going to the bank. Like every day of Dorinda's yeah. life, she's getting her roll of quarters. And I think that precedes Real Housewives of New York. But but I th and I think it's probably not helped by it. I mean, what are your experiences watching <laughs> her specifically the last couple episodes? I've heard from a lot of AGs that it's become a very, very difficult watch because nobody's mm -hmm holding her up to account even when Ramona does no 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 Dorinda fights back and it lasts three minutes and then they're both sobbing well you could see it in their faces at the winery the wild cherry winery or whatever mm -hmm. it was where she's talking and people are just sort of complicit like 
Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Because they know she has zero interest in listening to what you have to say. And that I, it's almost like they think well, she's like a sprinter and at some point she'll run out of gas and then she'll mm. walk, walk back to the track and say, I'm really sorry, I was a jerk. It's unfortunate because in that process, there are people that become collateral damage. And I believe mm-hmm. Tinsley, Tinsley was. Yeah. And people's responses to her this week when they said, you know, the problem is that she was screechy when she was reacting to somebody bullying her. And I'm thinking like. You should be applauding her for saying a fucking thing and not like completely, completely losing herself to have to put up with the kind of vitriol that was aimed her way. I mean, we're pretending the problem is that people couldn't understand her. If you wanted to understand her better in the moment, you'd ask her a question or God forbid defend her at a certain point. Like the gall of saying, wow, Tinsley, we really need to work on her like screeching in response to someone telling her she's worthless. I would think to myself, like, why weren't you stepping up for her, defending her or trying to at least like clear the way for her to communicate in a manner that you would more approve of than how she, you know, acted and how she behaved. I also think to go back to just the fact that they're on the show because there was something in their life that they perhaps felt like was missing. Mm -hmm. When Dorinda said, you know, I'm 55 years old and this is not the way I planned it out for myself. Mm. Mm-hmm. So in her, uh, she's like, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm a widow. My daughter's uh, grown. But for so many people, they aspire to be someone like her, who is a television star at 55, who does have access to all these celebrities or this world or income streams and all of that. And, and how those are the good moments because that's a real moment of clarity. That was a, that was a moment where I was like, that is her true self. She is like, I didn't expect to be here. I thought I'd still be married, that I'd have a partner and that, you know, I bet that in her old life, she was going to these really interesting intellectual kind of places and, 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 and mixing with people from the world of politics. And there is a part of her that at po- points is like, I'm 55 and I'm like fighting with people while being filmed in like a janky bar. So I do think that was real. Um, but yeah, and, I don't yeah. know if the problem is, I don't know if many people can have empathy for her anymore because she, in the other scenes, she's so horrible to Tinsley. Mm-hmm. And that's, that sucks because that's, that's what happens when you're a monster. Yeah, I don't think she's worthy of empathy right now. And as yeah. you said, when we were talking yeah. about like, when would you ever go on the show? I could never go on this specific kind of show because A, I'm super, super conflict averse. Like with dealing with anxiety, I could not put myself in a situation where I think someone might yell at me in six years, let alone deal with a Dorinda. I would not last yeah. long. And I also do, as is exhibited with Andy's girls, look at things through the lens of what were your motivations in which to exhibit that kind of behavior I I try to aside from what I said 30 seconds ago about Dorinda look at things with hopefully a great amount of empathy but even probably more than that curiosity Mm -hmm. so I would be looking at these people like they're animals at a zoo I don't know uh, yeah I don't know how interested I would be in actually engaging with them on the level that's kind of needed in order to maintain a role on housewives and yeah, yeah. I was, what I was were you gonna, gonna say? say I find 
and I think this plays on how many of these women really care about one another. In other words, once this stops airing, do they check in with with each other? How often I've had experiences with housewives where offline I've been incredibly helpful to them and Mm -hmm. have never received any acknowledgement for it. Mm -hmm. They don't know that there was one housewife who I kind of had become friendly with and had helped her through um, a life experience. And I read an interview later where she said, this happened to me and no one was there to support me. And I'm like, "Mm, pretty sure that like I had a newborn and spent hours on the phone with you when I have four kids and a newborn and I was trying to stay awake. You know, uh, normal people don't exhibit that kind of behavior. So Mm -hmm. I think so many of them are just so narcissistic and sometimes I get frustrated in my job where I think I, I, I tried so hard to, to showcase a part of your personality or to help you tell your life story so people understand you. And when it comes down to it, you don't give a shit about anybody. And so sometimes I, I have to remind myself, like, this is a job and this these are, th- th- for me even, like, they're not your friends. Mm-hmm. They're not. Some of them are, but very few are. They don't care about you. Well, this is such an interesting transition, I think, to discussing Beverly Hills because that was on the menu at um, the astrology dinner that Erica held when it came to all things Kyle and Teddy because Kyle and Teddy obviously have a very, very close, honest, I think, real friendship that's a seemingly a sisterhood off camera. There is also, because they are on this very specific show, an alliance on camera. So when their co-stars are trying to argue with them about the difference between the two without actually saying it. And P.S. I think this is the season on Beverly Hills to break down that fourth wall. But I digress. They're doing a great job. What? is the difference between their friendship bleeding through into like their alliance. Is there a difference? Is it just that they are willing to protect each other at all costs? How much of them both still being on the show influences the closest of their, you know, friendship? How does that all play out? What do you think? think? I think what's different about it is these alliances seem to flip every year. Like you Mm -hmm. see that a lot on Atlanta where, there's an alliance and then it's a totally different alliance the next season. And what I think unnerves the women of Beverly Hills is that it's a a stronger alliance than they, than they have ever seen on that show. Yeah. And it, they know that it's not going to change. It's not going to flip. So there's not going to be a moment where Kyle has this moment of clarity where she's like, Teddy's been a monster this whole time. And so I think that compounds with this like, uh, the, this under underlying notion that Kyle can never leave the show. People believe that. First of all, all housewives are expendable. Yeah. All of them. But people who are on the show, they believe that she's got a stranglehold on the show. So that compounded with this alliance will never change. And some of them don't think that Teddy is interesting enough to be on the show. Mm-hmm. Whether we as viewers agree with that is neither here nor there. But within the confines of the show, inside baseball... They're like, get rid of dead weight. But now that's never going to happen because Kyle has a stranglehold on the show and they have such a deep alliance and that alliance will never change. We're stuck with her, which means I can't bring my other friend in, which means 
I might not be on the show in two seasons and I have to figure out who I can align myself with. And that alliance might change next year because they might get mad at me because they're fickle. I think all of those things that go on within the show are really interesting. And I wish somebody would make a show about the show within the show. (laughs) Yes. I mean, if Oprah did it, my God, own 25th anniversary. I'm still trying to find some of those lost episodes. Um, What do you think about Kyle? What are your thoughts? Um, I don't mind her that much. I, like, people get really wound up about her. Um, I do think that sometimes with shows, I kind of get to the point where I'm like, I got it. I got your story. Like, I don't think anything's going to change in the ne- next two years that I'm going to get this light bulb moment. Like, now I understand who Kyle is. I'm like, I think I get it. I mean, she's really into her husband. She loves being a mom. She has these warped relationships with her sisters. She's lived in Beverly Hills forever. She works really hard because it's important for her to have her own thing. Like, I think I've come to understand all the layers of her. So I, I, I like her, but I think that when that happens, I'm eager for some fresh new people because I feel like it's important to freshen up shows all the time. The thing that I think is, has been missing, which, which is why I like Sutton, who I interviewed today and is, an, a good, I think, a good addition, although... Because of her ex-husband, she has to oh, be she got screwed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She got screwed. But I think that what's missing is that when I think of Beverly Hills or Los Angeles, Philly, it's a company town. And there are not enough people that are the housewives of company mm-hmm. people. So I want to see the wife of a television executive. I want to mm. see the wife of a movie executive. Because the power imbalances and the stories that go on within that are much more interesting to me then you know the dorit is just the wife of somebody i didn't even know who was and he's the manager of boy george and i'm like is that even a money-making business like what i want to know like the wife of the head of mgm and what it's like when she has to talk to um you know somebody who was a soap opera actress like that's interesting because it's these like power dynamics and maybe the wife of the mgm executive she was a stripper and the and the soap opera actress is like, Ooh, yeah, but like I have an education and I had a professional life and you were a stripper, but I have to somehow like bow down to you because your husband has all this power. But we and you and I both know he's going to find another wife in four years and you're going to be replaced and you're not going to be that important anymore. Like that's the kind of stuff at this point that I would really like to see. So to see the same person year and year and year in again and have the same fights all the time becomes pretty boring to me do you think though that the wife of the head of the mgm let alone if it was in fact the head of the um the head of mgm who was a real housewife in and of herself do you think that someone with that much at yes, stake yes i do yes would i do ju- yes I do. Because, because because adrian because maloof it, because, because adrian maloof because it's la and i think it's really? a city of a, it's a city of narcissists and the show has extraordinary power for people of a certain age it's a it's a town that's like obsessed with youth but this is like one one place where you can be a middle-aged person and have enormous fame and still have younger people really interested in your show I think that there are people who are trying to get rid of their wives so they're trying to give them some sort of income stream so they're like okay here's your show and then they quietly try to divorce them a year later it's their way Mm. to like pass them off um, yeah, I think it's the perfect city for it. Now, in New York, I had recommended Anthony Scaramucci and his wife because I had interviewed Anthony. <gasps> and I found Deirdre, him to be, 
Yes. I found him to be so charming, and my friend Shira works worked for him. Oh my so god! I recommended them, and my what I had said was this: this is like real money. When I think of New York, Comfy Town Financial Services, I want to see hedge fund money. Yeah. I don't want to see somebody who was married to somebody who was like a count, you know, and he didn't really have any power. <laughs> I want to well, see no, or somebody the mix, who has or the like, mix, the mix of it. Yeah. Like real, real New York money. Mm-hmm. Like I, maybe that's the wife of like a, like a, a real estate executive who mm-hmm. owns like corporate, you know, real estate and those, like the power dynamics. That's what it's interesting to me. So. Yeah, you get it's like the same season. It's sort of like, look, kids, Big Ben Parliament. Like, okay, okay. And then you have these women who are like so like emboldened by this fame. And it's like, okay, now you're becoming a caricature and you're not even what the show's supposed to represent. How do we get rid of you? I don't know. It's like, it's so the show within the show is really. Can I produce that show, the show within the show? I would love to see it. I mean, listen, we're going to need some content. Who knows what the fuck we're going to be watching (laughs) in four or five months when, unfortunately, we don't have many new shows left to premiere. Um, I'd love to see it. Let me also say that's why er Erica Jane was great for the show because I worked with lawyers. So I know the Tom Girardis of the world who have an enormous amount of power in terms of the legal Mm -hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. who think that they are movie stars in their own right and then you have their wives and 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 erica is everything that she shouldn't be in that world she should be a woman who wears pantsuits and is quiet and mm. hosts host dinners at restaurants and she's like i want to be a fucking star in my own right mm-hmm. and i'm gonna wear leather pants and i'm gonna wear a, like carry a whip and i think that that is hilarious and that's why it was great television i think she's still good television I mean, the, uh, when she brought her husband in and everyone's like, you're an amazing storyteller, Tom. And you're l- that's funny because it's a power dynamic. They're like, I need to, like, play up my interest in the husband because somehow he has some proximity to power. I want to be on his good side. I mean, there's stuff there. It's interesting. And with Erica Jane, she's someone that found her who found her own voice years before she was on Real Housewives. Erica Girardi became yeah. Erica Jane well before she joined the show. Very which important. Very important. In our, right. It speaks in her favor to the fact that she had an interest in carving out her own role that was yeah. separate from Tom's, regardless of whether or not he funded it. And she lost herself, or at least she lost a large portion of the audience along the way. It felt like she was restricting access to a door she opened her first season, and she's reopened that door now. I thought this week's episode, she was great. I loved the energy and the tension. Beverly Hills works best when it's on a low boil. And I feel like that's the reward. We're get, This season is the reward for surviving last. And regardless of who's been helping her or what they said to her or what tweets her assistants are reading or whatever, it feels like she listened to us. We said this isn't working for us and she's <laughs> changed. And it's yeah. not, it doesn't feel manufactured. It really feels like, and maybe some of that is the the pressure being removed from being on edge with filming with like an alpha like LVP, someone that she obviously didn't trust and felt was trying to manipulate her and the rest of the cast. Oh, for sure. That certainly has helped her, I'm sure, exponentially. But I also feel like regardless of that, she's breathing a little bit more and that breath is a complete 
breath of fresh air. Like it's really working out. I also get a kick when people talk about Tom and like, well, he's, you know, he's paying for all this stuff. California is a community property state. They've been married for 20 years. It's both their money. She can do what she wants, really. Oh, totally. I'm just thinking like who is, you know, the check is being deposited into their joint account. So it's like he's writing it. They both have the right to cash it. And whatever arrangement they have, there are a lot of high profile relationships where it's like this terrible allowance system. But if it like works for them, whatever. However, the money is being distributed within their family. He has supported her financially or otherwise before the show began. And she is now, you know, writing her own checks, too. I mean, I yeah. think it's she. But, but, but she's making so much money, too. And you know yeah, what? I love People her. Actually said love her she actually said she performed. That Sutton said that, too. She said she did really, really well um, on Broadway. I think people first were like, uh, remember Bethany was like, is she a real performer? But yes, she called her a porn star or whatever the fuck she said in the Hamptons way back when, when they did that little like fun yeah, then, fusion. And then remember when she was practicing this latest episode, just doing mm-hmm. some of the dance mon- numbers. It was like, I, let me tell you something. I could never do that. Um, I went to school for musical <laughs> theater performance. I am not a mover. There's that joke that like, you know, you're a singer who moves instead of a singer dancer. <laughs> I had absolutely no skill in that matter. My parents fucked up when I started um, perf- I'm going to blame them of course it's what I do best when I was a child actor because I never I took dance classes when I was little and then I just stopped and nobody was like hey Galley, like if you want well maybe not that my parents call me that but they were like hey child if you want to pursue musical theater you should maybe go to dance class now and again so I then got into the musical theater program that I went to in New York City and realized oh you're fucked <laughs> actually dance so I went to like you know day uh five days a week dance classes did not help but I learned to remember to smile and with Erica it's like I was watching that scene I had an AG who reached out to me I think today who was like you know I'm a fellow musical theater person didn't you have a chuckle to yourself when they were saying how difficult that must be or whatever like good for her during that dance class because it's not like the most complicated number but a sometimes the easiest numbers are the hardest to pull off and mm, Chicago is Chicago is no joke and also I thought she did great and I've heard from people unfortunately Corona cut her sh- time oh, on yeah. the show short I didn't get a chance to see her I was hoping to see her at the end of March as my like birthday gift to myself I'm I'm thinking that if the show hopefully doesn't close during this time that they will certainly have her back especially because now is the time to see her with her practice and working up to this being reflected on these episodes but I heard she was great and frankly her show it's one of those shows they've done a lot of stunt casting a lot of celebrity casting a lot of like d-list people being on the show to varying degrees of success and it seems like she was able to pull it off to which I say like complete kudos kudos because it's not easy to do as Ramona would say it's not easy to do it's hard to pull off if she could like breathe through the singing and do her like breathy talky moments I heard she did a great job and like genuinely good for her good for her for taking it seriously P.S. I wonder who put in more practice Nini and Cinderella or Erica Jane in Chicago my guess is it was probably Erica Jane Or, or add to that Lisa Rinna who else has been on Broadway Oh, my God. Oh, my God. A bunch of them. I mean, I think Candy was in Chicago recently. Um, She would be good. But like, uh, 
can you imagine if like Melissa Gorga tried to be on Broadway? She's probably next up at bat. Are you kidding? They're like, <laughs> yeah, she's tri-state. She's available. She's probably pretty cheap. Um, on display, on display, on display. <laughs> each and every day. P.S. Every day. I am dying to play Melissa Gorga when I put up my Instagram <laughs> stories of all things Bravo 24-7. Um, guys, uh, in parentheses, at Dame Galley. Why is on display, why is Melissa Gorga's music catalog not available on Instagram stories oh. and yet everyone else's are? It's so wild to me. Like, Tardy for the Party is huh. available. What is, why is Joe Gorga, music producer extraordinaire, not allowing us to listen to iconic and iconic music catalog. Melissa Gorga, what's going on? Is she holding out? Is she holding out for an that's Instagram good, check? It's weird. That's a good question. Maybe she's just like, I'm a boutique girl now and I want to leave my pop star life behind me. I mean, talk about does envy by put, Melissa does, Gorga. Melania Judice's are available, but not Melissa. Does that boutique really like still do business? I don't know that they did. I think that they're, I think, I think if you're going to talk about somebody who's creating stuff for the show, I don't know how much you, how, how truly invested she was in investing in a boutique versus her trying to come up with some sort of something to have. But I don't know. I don't know. Can you imagine that pressure where you're like, shit, I'm going to get fired if I don't come up with something. So Okay, what am I? What am I? What am I going to do? I'm going to be a balloon salesman. <laughs> you know, it's just right. like what the whole pop star thing was just so hilarious to me. I'm like, and you want to be a midlife pop star? Like, are you going to go on the road? Okay, how's that going to work with your kids? And and it's in the basement. And how does that work? <laughs> and and you have, re- I love it when like Lala or one of these people mm. have like this is like a big time person in the production industry or music industry. They're going to come work with me. And I'm like, or how much were they paid to show up? And are they like, Oh, for the love of God, this person can't sing. And it just cracks me up. I mean, it is magical. It is one of those special universes <laughs> of housewife stuff. Cause PS Luann's heard it enough. So she now believes that she is a cabaret star. She doesn't, she is not interested in thinking about her shows in the way in which many attendees think about it, where it's like a trip to Real Housewives of New York Disneyland. Right. She truly thinks she's Luann with an L, Liza with a Z. Like she yes. actually believes it. And you know what? She made and a fuck ton of money before Corona uh, what, kicked in. Yeah, I was going to say that probably put a real halt to her plans. But also the um, the talk singing is a thing I just really enjoy. I love someone who does talk singing. It's um, fascinating. Yeah, to to say in the words of her uh, one-time scene partner, Natalie Cole, it's unforgettable is what I would say. It's unforgettable. So P.S. was this episode. There's so much that I want to talk to you about. So we're going to do a little Patreon after show for our friends on Patreon. And speaking of Patreon, guys, if you follow me on social and 5% of you do, you would know that I'm actually scheduling the first ever after having in-person um, Kiki's in New York and London. I'm doing the first ever virtual Andy's Girls Happy Hour Kiki in the next couple weeks. It's going to be open to OG of the AG level Patreon supporters. So if you haven't laddered up on Patreon and or haven't joined, now is the perfect time. Uh, for folks on the OG of the AG level, you'll be getting um, a little message with all that private uh, link information in the next couple days. Um, and I'm really, really excited for it. I feel like I've never done this online before. I've had incredible experiences meeting AGs IRL. And I've had 
dialogues with so many listeners truly for a year. So being able to see faces from AGs from Australia, who I hear from quite often and London and beyond. I'm really, really excited. So guys, if you haven't signed up for Patreon, what the fuck are you doing with your life? Please sign up post haste and listen, new best friend. I, the, um, the folks are telling me you have a Facebook group that's like taking over everything. Can you tell the AGs a little bit about the extension of your show? Well, we talk about all the Bravo shows, but we also talk about other shows. So everything going on on Hulu, Netflix, Netflix is on fire. Selling Sunset is one to definitely watch. Oh, I'm so excited. Season two. I just interviewed Christine. That's a doozy of an interview. Christine's a platinum blonde, right? Yes. Yes. So who looks like that woman from um, America's Next Top Model. Do you remember the woman, the model from X who was going blind? I told told her. Yes. I told her that she looks like if Erica Jane had a baby (gasps) with Christina Aguilera in the ex-Tina years. Oh, my God. I could totally see that. Yeah. So, but we talk about um, docu-series, documentaries, and reality shows, but also podcasts, like books people are reading, like anything that you want to consume. It's just really funny, smart people in there. So, it's Reality Life with Kate Casey Facebook group. And then the podcast comes out twice a week, Wednesdays and Fridays, and I have a Patreon, too. And so, I do a lot of true crime on my Patreon. Oh, are you mm. a true crime fan? Yeah. I'm like I'm a little bit of everything. I love sports and I love true crime. Oh my god, I love this. Well, we needed to talk about true crime because much like I went on your show to talk to you about my love of Mary to Med, I don't think I've ever actually listened to anything true crime related. Oh, you so know what I want to hear more. Yeah, tell me. I have episodes, unsolved mystery episodes a lot, where my psychic friend comes in and we <gasps> talk about cold, cold cases. And some of them, she has actually been in touch with the families of people that have been murdered. One of them was um, a case involving a missing woman in Massachusetts. And the family reached out to her and said, everything that you said no, what, what we think happened. See, psychics scare the Crazy. shit out of me because I don't actually... I don't know. I'm a Jew, so I'm like, ne- I'm she's Jewish genuinely too, paranoid. She's really? My, yeah, she's Jewish. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about the psychic existence, but I also don't want to talk shit about it because I'm so neurotic that I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> it could be real. I don't want like her to get in touch with my grandparents to like scold me about not believing. Um, but I believed in this episode, Kate Casey. This was a total <laughs> dream. We're going to continue the conversation on Patreon and you're a delight. I'm a big fan you of your pod. This was... I mean, you know, Andy's Girls is that kind of show where we it's I always call it the mix between C-SPAN and Ayanla Fix My Life because it's like <laughs> it's like a combination of like what yeah. the fuck is happening. But really, more importantly, why? And but you, you know really, what? And so in many a, good in points mo- were made. And in the most intellectual way, which I yeah. like. It's this is not a show where you're like, God, her hair looked dumb. This no. is like. Let's think about what she experienced in her life and how that plays into how she just reacted with that person. And I think that people are hungry for that in our world. I think Mm -hmm. people are less interested in like just pithy kind of like dumb observations. It's like, who is this person? Do we know someone like her? And what really happened before she started filming? That to me is way more interesting. So I salute how intellectual you are and the way that you look at shows like I do, like a cultural anthropologist. 
Thank you, Kiki. See, that was so nice. And also, I do care if their um, hair looks bad. So we will talk about that in upcoming episodes. <laughs> well, I mean, you know. <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm fucking with you. Um, this was amazing. Obsessed with you. Um, did you tell the folks how to follow you on social? So um, Facebook, or I, you can listen to my show anywhere, Reality Life with Kate Casey. Facebook is Reality Life with Kate Casey. Twitter, I love Twitter. Twitter is so enjoyable to me. It's at, at Kate Casey. I love it. I tweet about shows and during shows all week long. Oh, my and God. My Instagram, my Instagram is Kate Casey CA, and you will see who I'm interviewing in upcoming episodes, what shows I'm watching, and then you can see the fact that I'm trying – to not murder my husband and raise five children under <laughs> 10. Well, if you do, we know that you will recap the spinoff and that is what is most important. So there we yeah. go. We're going to talk all things murder, maybe a little on the Patreon. And I want to get your thoughts on um, Atlanta and some of your interactions with Bravo Labs. So oh, okay, yeah. let us talk um, until next time, guys. Obsessed with you. Love you. Stay safe. Stay whatever. And we'll kiki with you again soon. Bye-bye.